Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Circuit. I am Ben Beharin. Hello, world. I'm Jay Goldberg. We, uh, I had a joke a couple days ago, Jay and I were talking about where I would introduce myself as Jay Goldberg just to throw everybody off and <laughs> see what the response would be. But then we concluded that might, that might not be a good idea. <laughs> I, I think you've just accomplished confusing everybody. Yes. All right. <laughs> ben Beharin is the one talking now. There you go. Um, all right. So it's been an interesting week on the back of a couple of semiconductor earnings calls, ASML and TSMC. This created a lot of different uh, talking points, questions. Um, something that we're going to dive into today is something we've talked a little bit about before. I wish we had the the wherewithal to go even deeper on this thesis, but it's something that Jay and I are, are working on as well. Um, relative to the impact that AI has on a number of different computing segments, uh, not just data center, but edge. Um, we've done some specific, like I said, episodes on this, but Jay recently wrote a thesis on uh, on this at digits to dollars, uh, which we can link to in the show notes. So I'm just going to let Jay outline his thesis because I followed some of the people that were questioning him on Twitter and uh, seeing the discussion. So lob the thesis out on us and then let's uh, let's unpack it. So I, I approach this topic of AI semis. Obviously, everyone's talking about it a lot. We've done a few episodes on it. I've written a lot about it. And I realized we've sort of addressed different parts of the elephant. And so I wanted to take a step back and sort of look at the whole thing. And I think from a high level strategic perspective, there are really three questions around AI semis today. And the, the, the first one is, will AI be additive to the addressable market, the TAM for semiconductors, or will it just cannibalize CPUs and other stuff and the market stays the same? Second question is how will the market for edge inference, or excuse me, for inference in general, shape up. What's that competitive dynamic going to look like? And the, the last question is, can anybody displace NVIDIA, who is clearly the market leader and the dominant player in this space right now? And I think th those are the three sort of fundamental questions that are going to determine some important trends for the next you know decade of semiconductor market and who the winners and losers are going to be. Okay, I'm going to start actually with your third point as a starting point. So so this is something I've been thinking about, and I, I haven't asked you this question, but I've been talking to other people. We talked a couple episodes ago um, about when we talked about ARM in the data center about everybody sort of unanimous, everybody who's in the know unanimously agreeing that much of the workload in AI is going to move from training to inference. And in some cases, I've seen folks and in investors on the sell side estimate this to be, you know, 77, 78% of the market today in terms of dollars is training. Um, but that could move to a 40, 60% split, 50, 50 over the next five years. So people are assuming that training will still be important. Let's again, let's say it's 50%, 60%. Great but a huge portion of that moving dollars moving to inference. So, so the question is, if, if we believe that, and then perhaps over the 10-year time frame, even more moves to inference, maybe that's a 20% training, 70% inference, um, does it even matter if people compete with NVIDIA in, GP, in, in, in training? 
because there's so much other opportunity for inference, why would we not be focusing more on that versus trying to compete with NVIDIA? So I think there's a few parts to that. A lot of that is around inference, which is kind of my second question. But in terms of NVIDIA's position in the market, I think we should probably break down a little bit what dominance means. Today, they are clearly dominant in training, close to 100% of the market. The only yeah. real competition they have there are a few internal things at like Google, who also is using NVIDIA for training as well. So that's that's part of it. Then the question is, can they extend their position in training into inference? Mm-hmm. And I think we're at a place now where most people assume that AI equals GPU mm-hmm. and GPU equals NVIDIA. Mm-hmm. We can we can debate like who has a better product and is is AMD's MI three hundred competitive versus right. whatever. But I think fundamentally, it comes down to the fact that the the big customers in particular are not going to ever settle for a world in which they are completely dependent on NVIDIA, right? Especially when NVIDIA controls both the silicon and the software layer around CUDA. That's just an unacceptable, untenable position for the customers. And so no matter what, this, this current status quo has to change. Now, I, I, I'm not bearish on NVIDIA by any means. Uh, they're going to do fine, but I absolutely, they're, they are they are not going to be able to extend that 100% share into inference. There's no way that's going to happen for a lot of reasons. Can they get displaced out of training? I think I think everybody's exploring that right now. And I think, right. I, I think it's going to be tough. I think it's actually going to be pretty tough. But if you start to look at some of these alternative software frameworks that are coming out, PyTorch and Triton are, you know, on everybody's lips. I I think there are a lot of people in the market who just assume, okay, PyTorch is coming and it's going to displace CUDA and suddenly we're going to have a little bit of evening out in market share. You can run PyTorch on an AMD or whatever. And that's going to disrupt NVIDIA's hold on training. I actually, I'm, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. I, I think agree. there is there is a world in which you just run PyTorch on CUDA, mm-hmm. right? Uh, they don't necessarily, in some ways, they complement each other. Uh, I, I think you have the software on training is still very complex. I know a mm-hmm. lot of companies have tried to g- get into it. It's just it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be a battle, um, yep. and I think it's just for a lot of companies, it's just not going to be worth it. As especially because, like you said inference is going to become the the majority i would say i would argue the vast majority of spend yep. over time yeah and so it, it there's how much effort do you want to spend trying to disrupt training when that's you know 10% of your spend 5 years from now exactly right you're going to be much more focused on the inference side and training stuff is 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 pretty complicated agreed uh, unquestionably big companies google comes to mind in particular but others as well they're going to find alternatives they're not going to use training. They're not going to do all their training on NVIDIA long, long-term probably. But I think for the enterprise, like why, you know, if you're an enterprise, you're a bank and you want to run training on your, your data, like that, that's hard enough. You have to find AI people, developers to just do that. And then to go the extra mile and like fight the trend and create new software frameworks and integrations. 
some people will do that, but I, I think a lot of people just find going with a default NVIDIA for training is the easiest solution. Yeah. So that, that was kind of like roundabout where I was getting to, right? Which is, I, I see the allure in competing with them today and, and, and trying to compete with them. There's, you know, at least half a dozen companies that, that we know of. There's probably more attempting this. Um, it's not a trivial problem. PyTorch, you're right, is, is gaining significant sort of share in terms of academia and research and people who are using it. But again, that's not the only thing here that's, that's being used. So it really does feel like, um, it really does feel like there's a still strong reason to be bullish on NVIDIA for GPU. But what you said is exactly right, right? One of the big questions is what do they do with Grace Hopper and how do they continue to move their companion CPU part? Um, because if you, if you unpack Jensen's vision and, and this is where I, this is the thing I think is going to be the hardest for most companies to really kind of grasp in their, their strategy to compete with NVIDIA is Jensen labels this under accelerated computing. And in my mind, he does not limit accelerated computing to even the GPU or the CPU. There's networking parts. And I think there's other elements of AI ASICs NVIDIA can make. So if they are still a dominant platform player and a dominant seller then of GPUs who compete, who bring companion parts to diversify these workloads, it's actually, again, a really strong story because his focus is just, let's just accelerate computing and any bit of silicon that can do that, let's just go make it NVIDIA. And I think it's hard because who else is going to have that stack? Very few people, maybe AMD, right? Maybe Intel could have all those pieces, but Jensen's much more focused. And that's that's the part I think is just going to be really, really tricky at the end to bite off all those pieces. Whether he's successful in those other areas, you know, I, I don't know. That's debatable. But I think his vision is very clear and his knowledge of the problem is also very clear. Yeah, so let me let me break that down. There's a couple things there. One, today when people ask me, like, why is NVIDIA so dominant in, in AI? The, the sort of default knee-jerk answer is to say CUDA, right? CUDA is a software layer that in between the operating system and the chip, and you can get a whole kind, a whole bunch of optimizations to run your systems much better because you have CUDA. And I think, I think the advantage that CUDA has conveyed to NVIDIA, I think we could reasonably argue that that is slowly being diluted right, by all the things I talked about before. Right? Mm -hmm. CUDA was really important in the early days of AI for enabling all of this. It's, it's sustainability as a durable competitive advantage is, is probably peaking. Right? That's mm -hmm. how I'll put it. It's very mm -hmm. strong, but it's probably at its peak and it's going to wane. So then the, the next question will be, oh, does that mean I can shorten video now? And I, I think the answer is no. Um, setting aside cyclical factors, because they're going to blow up in a few quarters, because they always do. But like in terms of secular trend, I think NVIDIA is still in a really good position. And you're right. It's all the reasons you stated. They have this whole stack. Um, they, have, they have all the pieces. It will become very easy to just buy an AI system from NVIDIA, if you can afford it. You just get everything from them. And for a lot of companies, that will be very appealing. Maybe not the hyperscalers, but maybe them too, but certainly for the enterprise. Like you just you buy everything, you buy, you know, you buy a rack or two of NVIDIA solution. Plus on top of that, you have all their software offerings, right? Their, their models, which are trained, their software frameworks, which are trained for specific industries. And they have a dozen now. 
I think that's a really compelling vision. And I think, I think that speaks to Jensen, like you said, really understands this and knows where it's going. He's, he's multiple steps ahead. The one pushback I would give on that though, is not everybody's going to want that because again, it conveys a pretty high degree of lock-in, right? If AI is as important as everybody seems to think it is, there's a risk in being so dependent on somebody for an entire solution. And historically, those kinds of dependencies don't last. That, that being said, enough it will appeal to enough people. And NVIDIA is so far ahead on so many software fronts that I think NVIDIA will do just fine, even if CUDA goes away. I think they're, oh, they're in a sure. really good position. T- totally. We're, we're, there's there's going to be a lot of friction about people you know, complaining about lock-in and all that. But still, there's a lot of strong appeal there. Totally agree. I mean, on on the merits of just the product quality themselves, right, that they're building, it's hard to do what they're doing when it comes to these specific workloads. So by their, by their alone, right. I I, I think my, my broader sort of just view is, you know, one, you know, we're probably a couple years away or sorry, not a couple years away, maybe closer than that, but NVIDIA is much now more quickly going to be a a hundred billion dollar company in revenue sooner than we thought, thanks to this trend, that increases their capex, that increases their ability to become a priority share at at TSMC. I think they're number four priority now or so, but increasing in that, um, it just gives them so much leverage with again well execution, good vision, and a large software stack that it, it's hard. I it's I, it's hard to be displaced where they are today. Is, is, is part of my view. But that leads me to this sort of broader question you and I have been circling around, which is there are other areas of growth to the data center that's not GPU. And I think we both believe GPU spend of that is, is going to grow probably faster than CPU, but both are relevant. Um, but we've asked this question before about how much, how much additional lift to the data center, Tam, is, is AI going to bring? Because if it's a big number, like I've seen numbers anywhere from, you know, 30 billion to an extra hundred billion over the next, you know, 10 years. So if it's a big number, I kind of feel like if I was somebody trying to increase my strategy in the data center, I would want to go after this greenfield of growth versus go for these areas where people are more entrenched. Yeah, I think, well, I think this gets into sort of the second question, which is inference, right? I think going after training right now, especially for a startup is, um, yes. I don't want to say suicidal, let's, let's call it challenging. Challenging. Very challenging. But the the bigger market will be inference. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a very big market and it, it just can't be run on GPU entirely. Yes. Right? The economics will not work out, even right. if, you know especially with supply conditions the way they are today. Um, but there, there, are, there are other factors too, right? A lot of these AI, I mean, AI is just software. And so you're going to run your normal corporate software workload and you're going to have some AI functionality in it. There are a lot of times when the software architecture is going to dictate that means running the AI on CPU alongside the other part of the workload, right? So you can, so AI is, is not all GPU, right? It's going to, some of it's going to be on CPU. A lot of companies are going to build accelerators for this. The hyperscalers, I think, are you know are pretty invested in in accelerators. That's an important category for a lot of them, and they're gonna they're gonna that's they're gonna run inference 
in the cloud on accelerators because the numbers just work out much better that way. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't quantified this yet. We've been talking about this a lot, but I think my intuition is that the market for inference for generative AI is going to be, the economics are going to be so challenging that the only way it's going to work at is if you can put push a lot of that inference onto device, onto the edge. Because right? there, and, and the, the key thing there is that the consumer, the customer is paying for the CapEx. They're buying a phone, they're buying a PC that has some AI functionality in it and running it on their device. Mm-hmm. That's going to offload it. doesn't have to be run in somebody's cloud. And I, I think that's the only way this, this really works out, given the way that generative AI is taking off. And so, well, yeah, that's that's where the opportunity is in those in those areas around inference. And I and I'd add another element that we highlighted last week that I still think is just one of the most fascinating things to think about is um, the, the other argument that why all of this can't continue to be done in the cloud is scarcity of resource of energy. And so, right. to your point, right, capex it gets offloaded if I'm now using another device, my edge device, my car, my PC, my automotive, my camera that's sitting right on a stoplight. Um, it's, it's the one handling that power, right? So I'm offloading power as a part of that as well, because I think you could make the strong argument like we have that we just don't have the grid for all of this to be run, you know, in, in, in the cloud, especially amongst the top three hyperscalers, let alone people include in, in, in broad terms, Apple as a top four US hyperscaler, you know, they, it's, you just can't run all this in the cloud. So I think that's an important reason, which again, goes back to your other point, right? A thesis of, of on device, which we did a whole segment on. And I think now we've seen a handful of demos and a bit of uh, extra conversations around on device. Um, It's definitely not there today. But at some point in time, you'll be able to do a whole lot more of this on device and it will feel not that far off from the things you've experienced in in cloud-centric experiences. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's that's how this is gonna work out. And I think that it's just it's just too cumbersome and the the workloads are too big to really be run any other way. It has to be some significant portion of offload from the cloud. So the, 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 the question here that sort of plagues me is it, it, it feels like it's going to be very hard f- to run this hybrid AI environment that a lot of people are talking about, meaning that I provide a service, I'm a cloud provider, and I realize that I've got tons of capabilities here to do what I want to do in terms of this service, what people are paying for. But yes, I want to offload that to the device, but I need to know how much that device can be offloaded to that device. And that's not going to be a an all things equal scenario, right? Old Devices that are five years old are going to need a whole lot more cloud help than devices that are you know, one year old. But people talk about this hybrid environment. I want to have some of it in the cloud and some of it on device. I feel like that's a really tricky architecture to, to talk about because again, it feels like the service needs to know, well, I can't offload that or it will be a terrible experience or it's a capable device. I can't offload 80%. I just don't know how this gets worked out, but that's kind of how people talk about this hybrid cloud on device today could change in three years, but it feels very tricky, very complex to me to do that. 
I think you just described Android. Well, that's a whole different issue in my brain. <laughs> yeah. But you're 100 percent right. I won't. I won't. I won't start my Android rant. But I think, I think when you talk about the edge, we're really talking about three things. We're talking about PCs, iPhone, and Android. Right. Yes, there's cameras; those will come, and then there's automotive someday further out. But for the moment, like what we're really concerned about is laptop and phone. And at, at their event, what two months ago, AMD actually started talking about that, including some some neural processing blocks in their C, in their laptop CPUs. Um, Apple's been doing it for a while. Obviously, they have some in the phone as well. Mm-hmm. Right. That that's that's really where this edge inference is going to take place is in those kinds of devices, and so what's going to what's it going to take to accomplish that is uh, Microsoft has to get Windows to the point where it can do it. Mm-hmm. Apple has to has to do likewise for both Mac OS and iOS. And I would say uh, Microsoft is clearly fully invested in it, and they they love generative AI, and I think. Yeah. I have to imagine that there are teams inside Microsoft working pretty heavily to bring that transformer to support into into Windows sooner rather than later. Mac's already Apple already done it for the Mac. Yep. Um, and so, right once those once those frameworks get set up, I think it's it actually it can happen pretty quickly. I, we we will have this problem with Android where there are going to be a lot of devices that can't run it for years, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's just one more thing that has to sort of add that to the list of problems that Google has with Android because because when when Apple thinks it's you know consumers really want generative AI support on the iPhone they'll launch it you know if, if it's not in this iPhone it'll be you know whenever six months after they think consumers are ready for it right yeah. so well I, and it's I, I would I, I would be surprised if they don't talk about something along these lines in September with the new sure. iPhone so there there was a report I'm sure everybody who listens to this saw that that Apple uh, Mark, Mark Gurman wrote it at, at, at Bloomberg and just saying, you know, that they are working on their own GPT model. It, uh, it, it, it sounds like it's a, a pretty, pretty large model um, in terms of overall size, like definitely large enough that whatever they're building data set wise is not going to run on device at that size. I mean, roughly the stuff we've tried today seems to be a successful if it's in the 10 to 15 billion, you know, parameter range. Anything north of that is is crashing devices and running exceptionally slow. But that's today, right? That's not where we'll be in 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 two to three years. But it shows kind of what's possible on device versus right the size of cloud. But Apple 100 percent right is going to want to do this. And arguably, like I said, they are a, a top four hyperscaler. They can create that cloud to device infrastructure as good as anybody if they want. Um, to handle their their device fragmentation, which, as you point out, is not as not nearly as as tricky as Google's. Yeah, Apple technically is capable of doing it today, right? There's no question. If they wanted to get generative AI working on the iPhone, it could happen today. I think the question for Apple is, or the question that Apple is asking is more, what are we going to use this for? Right? Apple doesn't like to add features that consumers don't care about. Right. What? How much do consumers really care about generative AI? How important is it to the user experience, the human experience? Excuse me. Right. On an iPhone. Right. And I, I, there are a lot of people who think that Apple is behind in AI as a result because they don't have you know, generative AI today. I think they're they're trying to figure out, as am I, and a lot of people, like what is actually 
really useful for. And I, I actually had a Twitter debate with somebody who was saying, you know, AI is going to be really important. Everyone's going to want it. And I said, well, how much more would you pay for a phone that does sure. chat GPT sure. or stable diffusion on the phone? And he says, well, I already paid chat GPT $20 a month. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I understand that. But that's not the question. You like generative AI. You're willing to pay for it. How much though are you going to, are you willing to pay for it to work on your phone in airplane mode? And I, I, I don't think anybody knows the answer to that question yet. So, so there's another though, part of this that feeds into this that I think is fascinating. And, and this again speaks back to companies who are prioritizing on device, those who are not be playing both sides of cloud to, to, uh, to, to, to device in terms of their roadmap is, you know, you exactly rightly point out, I don't think anybody's going to pay more for these things. I think it's going to have to just be an, an evolution of the Silicon's um, roadmap to increase those features. But, but, if I'm a silicon designer today, so let's just say this is MediaTek, Qualcomm, and Apple, to some degree Intel and AMD on PCs, you, you do have to sort of make some decision about how much transistor budget you're going to throw to something like an NPU because it's a relevant decision, right? If I believe that I need that to compete, I got to take that from something else, right? I got to take it from my GPU blocks, my CPU blocks, right? Something else, right? So they need to make calls on how important that is by how much die area they're going to commit to these things going forward. And that's, that's a fascinating trade-off, right? That I think people are stuck with these next two years when again, you and I can argue all day, people will hundred percent be willing to pay for those Silicon bits in the data center more. They're not going to pay for them on device. Right. And so that's just a fascinating dynamic of maybe how fast the capabilities develop at the edge. When again, you've got a You've got to make these trade-offs with your transistor budget. Yeah, I think that's a really good way of, of framing it. Right? How, and and I think I think that sort of throws light on what I was saying about Apple is Apple at this point doesn't seem to see the need to throw those blocks, those resources at it. Right. They just don't see it as necessary. Um, and I don't think anyone knows when that will change. Right? Well, we'll see. I mean, I think we'll see with with two fundamental things, in my opinion, that'll happen this fall, right? Qualcomm's going to unveil their new PC chip, PC chip architecture. My hunch is that's going to be loaded with tops. Um, Apple has historically only bumped their tops up, if I recall, two to three. You know, uh, I think they went from 10 to 15, right? So maybe five or so. So, so what they throw at tops in next generation products will be telling, right? If it goes from 15 to 30, that's a pretty big jump, right? But yeah. if it goes from 15 to eight to 18, you know, you'll, you'll again, you'll just sort of see how they're prioritizing. So um, that's an interesting bit, but but you're right. I think that's that's really the call they've got to make is 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 how much block they throw to this stuff. And, and, it, and could it be premature, you know? Yeah, I, I, Apple, I think typically tends to be a little bit conservative in jumping on the latest feature, right? The, the, the original iPhone was a 2G phone right. deep into the 3G era, right? It's the classic example. And and they've had AI on their phone longer than anybody, right? They, they don't call it that. It's a neural engine and it's there for a very specific purpose to help with image processing. Um, I, I don't, yeah, it would be interesting to see if, if to what degree they change it. Right. Or do they just sort of keep going at their steady incremental pace? Yeah. 
So I, I want to end on just circling back to the question at hand um, about is there even a a way to sort of put a model around the additional lift of dollars that's coming to AI? I think we agree we can't do it on device. Um, but to that point, in a number of earnings calls, as well as some commentary of some of the people who are doing this, it, it appears that the answer's others haven't done this work either <laughs> that that these models actually haven't been been uh, built or at least in a way that they're confident they will portray it to customers and or investors that they think these custom AI parts or their accelerator bits or whatever could lead to this much more revenue like in terms of I guess their model guy it seems like everyone kind of believes like we do, there's something there. There will be some additional TAM in the data center, but no one's really done that work yet. It's basically what I'm saying. So as an answer to the question, I'm floating the no. Yes, it could be, but no, that hasn't worked been done. It's very vague. <laughs> Speaking in vagueness. <laughs> so I, I will I will start by saying the answering the first part of your question, which is yes, somebody can can build this model. I don't think anybody has yet. You and I have around with this i think we're our our model is as advanced as pretty much anybody's uh and it's an important important area i i tend to think and I, i've been i've been debating this a lot with you and with other people and myself lately i i'm coming down on the side that ai is additive to the semiconductor tam mm -hmm. agree and we're, we're recording this on Friday, July 21st. TSMC reported last night, and they made some comments about seeing AI servers cannibalizing CPU servers in their in the data they track. But but what they're really saying is what what they what they're really saying is because hyperscaler capex budgets for new data centers are fixed, we haven't gotten into the new budgeting cycle that's going to accommodate this increase in AI mm -hmm. needs. Mm -hmm. So that's a very short time window because they say long-term AI is going to be huge in this, in the data center. I will say anecdotally from what I can tell, I'm, I've heard a lot of, a lot of the big hyperscalers are accelerating, pulling forward their data center, physical plant expansion because they need AI and they need it soon. Right. So I, I, I was talking to somebody recently who owns a plot of land that's sort of a tier two or tier three data center location. Mm. Critically, it has power, it has electricity, and they're in a region where the main tier one location is out of power. So they're on a grid, they have electricity, and they just they just won the lottery. Right? They've been sitting on this piece of land for years, and now suddenly they have customers, they have all the hyperscalers, all the usual suspects, plus many more, knocking on the door saying, hey, can I get in? Let's get going. I need this, right? And it, it's, you know, they have to build a plant, they have to build the building, so it's not going to come in, you know, the next three months, but right. it, it is clearly to me additive to whatever the hyperscalers are doing. They're adding data centers that they, you know, they're adding to the plan. Yep. And so it's not going to happen this quarter, but over the, I would say over the next year, we're going to see this spike. Yeah. Nope. I, I agree. I'm, al I'm aligned with that. I think what questions I've heard, which again, I'm, it's fine that nobody knows this, but just in terms of, of people being aware of the questions is really just how 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 much additional capex could be thrown to this like there's a reasonable amount again knowing that we're up against limitations of physical space 
we can't get enough wafers to meet that demand. So yes, it will grow, but it's not going to go. It's not going to be a hundred percent right growth year over year. So I think the the understanding the the amount at which it can grow, and then where are those pockets that might get spent quickest? I think are at least helpful if you're trying to come up with uh, where might these dollars go over the next you know year or two, um, knowing where the constraints are. And I think that's a good, a better way to kind of look at this question about how much, because, you know, again, I go back to this, right? People are throwing these astronomical numbers out over the next five years. And I keep asking, like, well, do we even have the land and the grid? Like, can they even build out fast enough to meet that revenue number? But there's some reasonable amount of growth that's going to come from AI to these to these data centers. And so I think if the CapEx goes up, right, I don't know, I'm just making this up, but let's just say we landed on it's five to 8% a year in terms of your flexible budgets. It's a helpful way to look at where that growth can come from being again, additive to a number where they were already spending. Yeah, I agree. I agree. We, we it's, we need a little bit more work to put a, a precise number on it, but it's, we're, we're getting closer and it's, yeah. It is, it's going to be, I think, a meaningful amount for a lot of companies. Yes. No, I I agree. Um, I will be at an event next week with one of the top three hyperscalers and uh, we'll have a chance to talk to many of their customers. So we can, we can talk about that maybe on the next episode or episode after that when, uh, when I can share more of what I've learned, but this is top of mind. This will be amongst my top questions in, uh, in, in CapEx spend for AI specific stuff. So more on that later then. Um, all right. Well, thanks, uh, everybody for listening. Just review our podcast, give us likes, tell your friends, share us on socials, etc. Uh, we appreciate everybody listening. Thank you for listening, everybody.